preached, uh, finished the chapter, one message, but I was not for the mere fact that there's just, uh, especially verses 14 through 16, things you want to deal with, uh, just understand it. The things I think that get, uh, probably not understood well by many, and I want to spend time with that. It's like this week I want to deal with, among other things, verse 9, which says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined that God has prepared for those who love him. I think that's a verse that is wildly taken out of context. Not in a damaging way, but when you do that, you don't understand what exactly what Paul's actually saying. So we'll deal with that. Next week, though, I want, the reason I'm separating that is because we want to deal with, the Bible says that the natural man does not understand spiritual things, and yet we know in some measure he does. People can understand the Bible understand the concepts of God and so forth. So that, I think, needs some uh, explanation. I think that would be helpful to us. And then just like in uh, the first three verses of chapter three, where we, let's see the carnal Christian theory. there. So we got to take our time to go through this and try to deal with these things as different topics as they come up. Next, our last uh, time, we saw that Paul did not try to impress the Corinthians with eloquent or clever sermons. Uh, one reason he didn't want followers of himself but Christ, we, we dealt with the idea of why did Paul say, only preach the gospel when I came to you. And of course the answer is because only the gospel saves. That's what he did for him. God saves, as we saw in chapter 1, through a gospel that offends the natural man, which natural man repents, and trust in Jesus Christ, the only explanation, it must be a work of God. Because you you cannot convince a rebel to lay down his rebellion and become a non-rebel. You can't make a dog meow uh, like a cat because he's a dog by nature. God must do the work. And so uh, it's nothing but the, the sovereign grace of God has been uh, permeated for a couple of chapters of this book. So he preached the offensive gospel so that if any believed it would must be seen as a work of God, not Paul. And we have <clears throat> noticed in these uh, couple of books first and Corinthians that Paul was not necessarily a particularly gifted speaker. That's not to say that I wish I could hear Paul preach. I'm sure it would be magnificent. I just as a preacher I would love to hear that. But he was not a gifted orator. There were things about him that uh, did not fit that bill. He was not eloquent. But that just proves the point that God can take someone like me, for instance, who has got no particular gifts uh, of eloquence, and yet do something, save people, and, and use the word of God to minister to people, shows that it must be a work of God, right? And we saw their faith then was in the word of God that saved him, not in worldly wisdom, lofty oration, or clever system. That's what faith is. Faith is the thing. I'm more of that today. True faith is, well, in fact, we, have we tried to define the biblical faith last week or the other week. Biblical faith is to believe the revelation of God and act accordingly, not to base your life on whatever you choose to. Faith is not nebulous. It is not cloudy. It is not, you know, fuzzy. That's what the world likes to say. Well, whatever faith you have, it will work for you. That's fine. 
I just believe, I hope. Simple faith is, uh, is concrete. It believes facts. It trusts the Word of God. It's not just some feeling that you have that's uh, reserved for false religion and mysticism, but that's not biblical Christianity. <clears throat> now remember also that as we continue today that the overall context, especially the first three or four chapters, is divisions in the church. And uh, Paul, dealing with this, has brought, these things have been brought on by a sense of self-sufficiency and human wisdom. They have the Corinthians are drawn because of that culture. You are drawn to the best orators, the ones who have the uh, the, the philosophical way to to present things in such a philosophical way that impresses people. A lot of times with with a word concept they don't understand, but it's good. And so the, the kids are fighting this, and this is something that man has always fought in different contexts. But Paul is saying no. Uh, it is the word of God that we need. That's true wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. So he's showing us that we are not saved by human wisdom and human effort. And we will not be sanctified. We will not grow in the Lord. Uh, or in this case, we will not attain unity. But if we aren't walking in God's truth, God's truth saves you. God enlightens uh, your way. You cannot reject it for a philosophical patience. And think that any good is going to come of it, especially in the church. And he's going to expand on this in later chapters, but right now, he is clearly fitting human wisdom with God in showing that unless we have a proper worldview, and by that, of course, we mean an outlook on life, understanding God and our place before Him, and how you want to express it, we must, Bible explain why we're here and what we are to do how we are to be saved, and what is the meaning of life. The world cannot explain that to you. The world cannot give you meaning and understanding. And so unless we humble ourselves before his word, we cannot understand life or live properly. We cannot understand our relationship with each other and how to get along with each other. Only as the word permeates us in our thinking can we learn to love one another. So it all goes back to the word, to life of God. So he speaks of two kinds of wisdom and clearly is saying that only one is true wisdom. What he is speaking about which is love of wisdom. Now, I'm not going to get off into philosophy. I'm no expert on that. Um, I'm not saying that philosophy in general is, is wrong or lends itself to that in the human arena. If you take a philosophy path, it is the study of knowledge and wisdom, but more of real. In other words, it's not necessarily science study science facts. It is to ask not how, but why. And that's usually where these things go. But the problem is, if you don't, if you haven't been enlightened by God through the scripture, as soon as you ask why something is, you are going to fall flat on your face. And primarily when the world tries to deal with philosophy, that's exactly what happens. Because they haven't started, God has said. And you're trying to understand things, and you're, you, you're already off pace before you even get started. And so unfortunately, most philosophy courses treat all forms of human teaching as equally valid, 
which only causes more confusion uh, it, it, it is the opposite of truth. Correct philosophy begins with correct theology. And there are actually Christian philosophers, as it were, who believe that you can't understand the Bible until you take a course in philosophy, which is just nonsense. And yet you've got some big names who actually say that. Not just big names, not, not just in our group, but Listen, we should love to learn and to have wisdom and understanding. But it begins with having your theology. It begins to understand your place before God, who God is, why He made you. If you try to understand life and how things work, for instance, you try to understand why people kill each other, why there's people in the world, and the world loves to ask those questions. But when you deny sin, you have no idea why this. You don't even know what evil is. It couldn't be more clear today. People are redefining sin because they're denying sin. Right? Because they don't have the light of Scripture. So we need Scripture. And I'm not saying that the Bible alone is all wisdom and understanding. That it, you know, there's other things of truth out there that aren't found in God's Word. But it's not going to be contrary to God's Word. Only the ignorant think that to learn things other than what is in the Bible is useless. They quickly prove it. The only thing we are to know is the Bible. Uh, but it is to learn, as we learn about other things, we relate it back to the Bible. We are we can appreciate it because what the Bible tells us about God. But to learn things without the overarching explanation from God will only lead to confusion. And our universities are proving that today, are they not? They are. They have become schools of darkness by and large. So in a lot of cases, worldly wisdom isn't deliberately or consciously set on in sin and disobedience to God. But if it doesn't acknowledge God to begin with, it becomes sin. If all things are to glorify God, and you start off with saying there is no God, or God is irrelevant to this, already fallen into darkness and rebellion. There's no such thing as secular, because all things must be the glory of God. So if that, that means every, everything, every aspect of our life is then is secular in our life. What is, what is this has this, this part of my life has nothing to do with God? Well, you. you Already again, you've fallen into rebellion and darkness. So to deny or ignore him is not a neutral thing. And those who do that will be held accountable. It remains to our study today, even Christians can get caught up in learning, but not to incorporate the wisdom of God into what we know so that we can use our knowledge in a God-honoring way. That's clearly something we need to now what Paul is saying in this chapter that fits into his overall context is that God's wisdom does not come through natural revelation. The study of science and human philosophy doesn't come through that. It comes, it's supernatural by his word as the Holy Spirit illuminates us. And again, next week we will deal with what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to illuminate us, among other things. So in verse 6, Paul changes from the first person singular where he's been saying, I, I came preaching, they turned, I, 
I do, I preach nothing other than Christ. Now he says we, to the, to the end of the chapter. In verses 1 through 6, Paul mindset was his message, his, his methodology, when he came to the Corinthians preached the gospel. But here, starting in verse 6, Paul speaks more than just about himself. And I, I think what he's talking about, who is to if we, is not Christians in general, so there will be some application to us. But primarily, the apostles, we, and we'll see this later on, when uh, he talks about verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. The apostles were inspired to write down the revelation of God so that we can also be enlightened and be taught by God. So I think that we here are the apostles. He's given us to speak in that context. And as further development in this epistle in 2 Corinthians shows, the real struggle is not with Corinthians clicks. Each of you, uh, you know, where they've chosen, as we saw in chapter 1, different apostles, different uh, people they'd like to follow. But primarily, with the problem of Corinthians, is that they will turn uh, from the apostles and their teaching to these super apostles, who are these false apostles. Uh, just, uh, I'll read Second Corinthians 7, 12 on, uh, just to give you an example of this. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Of course, you talking about the apostles. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. The Corinthians are going to, and it might not really, it might be in deep fashion at this point, but they're going to embrace these super apostles who come along with eloquent speech, and they're they're very persuasive, and they it is they take them away from the written word and into human philosophies, and they fall for that, and that leads to a lot of problems. Primarily, to them rejecting Paul by and large, which is what Second Corinthians is all about. So what characterizes Paul that is so offensive to some of the Corinthians causing them to follow their other leadership? And I think the answer is that Paul it is Paul's simplistic devotion to Christ and him crucified. Paul has chosen, as someone said, to be kind of a Johnny one note. Uh, the note he continues to play is offensive to Jew and Gentile. Uh, don't, I don't need, I don't need to present even the word of God. Old-fashioned. Who we hear today? It doesn't change. Word of It doesn't deal with uh, homosexuality. The Bible doesn't deal with this subject. We, we need more, and uh, so, so they were rejecting Paul. Uh, consequently, for a Corinthian Christian to identify with the Apostle Paul, then is to embrace that which is seen looks foolish and weak. Uh, you know, they, to the unbelieving mind, uh, if they to identify with Paul and his preaching, uh, makes you look foolish in the world. And we've all probably dealt with that. You guys aren't sophisticated. Keep preaching the word, you know. And it's hard to find churches anymore that say, you know, this is what the word, this is 
this is what this is all you need to know is what the Bible teaches. You gotta bring in human philosophy, which is what Paul is saying is so dangerous. Another thing to keep in mind is that finding true wisdom applies to those with formal education or those in which most of what they know comes through their upbringing or maybe a few few years of grade school. In other words, this applies no matter how educated you are or how little education you have. To be strong in the word of God gives you all the wisdom you need. We are, in a large part, what we know. We use our heads to live by what we know. Knowledge, like the knowledge is important. I told, I remember telling a, a, a girl when she was getting ready to go to school, uh, higher education. Listen, you, whether you go to school or not, you should always be learning. So the day you die, we're always learning. Not just the word of God, but just everything. And that's good. Because we are what we know. We live by what we know. But that so no matter how much you've been educated in this world, whether it's legitimate things or not, if you know God's word, you have the life to live in a profitable, God-honoring way. And what is more important than that? So you might not be out there inventing new things or, or making a lot of money or whatever. You might just have, I knew a woman in New York there, she had an eighth grade education, but, but she uh, was functioned fine. She, was, she loved the Lord and she was doing fine. Even though she would remind her once, wow, I've only had an eighth grade education. But she knew God. She knew the Word of God. She had a profitable life. But there are two things to keep in mind. First of all, this is why it's very important to always learn. We should always be learning. Because this knowledge is helpful. This old saying, knowledge is power. The reason why that's the same can be, it can be a very profitable thing. Knowledge also puffs up. How could that happen? When you use knowledge in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, that's really what it But it's always important. You always be learning. But second, why is our priority, uh, the second thing is that our priority must be to understand God's Word so that we know how to use what we are learning. As soon as you stop relating all things back to the light of the gospel, light of the word of God, your your knowledge is going to pop up to be point of Paul's point. The human mind alone, worldly wisdom is mine until it comes up with falsehood. And the only thing that guards us from that is scripture, right? That's why this is why this, 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 our services revolve around scripture because that's what we need, first and primarily more than anything else. So one does not have to have a lot of education to understand a bit of from the Bible. Indeed, I've always told parents, I don't care what you teach your parents, if you hope to or not. Teach them to read. Teach them to reading comprehension, because if you don't do that well, it's going to affect their ability to grow as Christians, because without reading, you know, and understanding concepts, you don't have much hope. Hampered in some way, right? Teach your kids to read. Learn to read. If you're, if you're an adult, you don't read that well. Practice. If we are to be people of the Word. 
not have to be educated to understand the benefits of the Bible, but it helps. And one can be very educated and not get the Bible at all. So, putting it in its priority. Learning is good, but learn correctly. Learn with the wise how you learn. And so the opposite of arrogant competence is not incompetence, but humble competence. In other words, the, the world is they can be very confident, but in their arrogance, they have forgot that which is important. So the opposite of competence, you know, is incompetence. But the opposite of thinking you know all you need to know without God is to realize, no, I need to know God first. It is humble competence. We are not to do what some Christians do and think that the law don't know anything worth knowing that all education outside the Bible is either here or there. There are those who believe that. And they usually should know it. You know, if you don't know the Bible, why are there any But it is to teach it in a way. We must never become proud of what we know because all that does is show that it's only in our head, but we have missed the point of what we know, right? Certainly when we talk about the Word of God. So in our text today, Paul uh, talks about four different things I want to uh, deal with now. First of all, the one who rejects Christ does not have true wisdom, no matter how much he knows. We might ask ourselves, who cannot receive the wisdom of God? He talks about that, starting in verse 6. The wisdom, only the mature uh, receive the wisdom of God. And by mature, we're talking about the spiritual saints. God, uh, although it is not a wisdom that, of this age or the rulers of this age, they're, do, they're doomed to pass away. So the ones who cannot receive the wisdom of God are those who have embraced the wisdom of the world. Why does he use Pilate and Herod and the Jews as an example of worldly wisdom rather than Greek philosophers of his day? Well, because the clearest way to reveal whether one is walking in God's wisdom, or in their own wisdom, is whether they submit to Christ as Lord. So it's easy to look out and see some person of renown who is wise and full of knowledge and doing great things, but if he's lost, he's stumbling around in darkness, he's going to lose it all, his dead is for the doom, because he's without Christ. He might do a lot of wonderful things, but he, at the end of the day, he's a fool, right? A fool instead is part no to God. So their arrogance is seen that they have rejected Jesus, who is the very wisdom of God. And you got to keep that in mind. Don't get fooled by people uh, in, in their in whatever, however competent they might be in speaking and convincing you of things. If they are not believers, they are fools. And you've got to be wary of what they're saying. It's not to say they're not saying true things. It's that there's not beneficial things to learn out there. But you've got to be, know where they're coming from. So who can't receive the wisdom of God? People who reject Christ for their ambition. Those who praise themselves. This is looking at a few examples here. First of all, John 5, 42. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. There's the idea they have of rejecting Christ. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Why? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only 
God. So the motivation is I want something that pleases me and glorifies me. That doesn't happen with Christ. When they're daughters, they reject Christ and embrace that which is false. Uh, Mark 11, we see another example of this. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking to the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or man? Answer me. And they said, and they discussed it with one another, saying, Here's the world, this is how the world thinks. This is the worldly wisdom. If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe in him? But if we say from man, they are afraid of people, for they are all held that John was really a prophet. So, truth, again, how does it, how, we're seeing, we see all this so acted out in, in our world today, in our culture today. Truth is not the issue. It's being accepted by people or rejected by people that motivate what I will believe and accept. It shows the darkness of the human mind. Think about Matthew. Here's another. Here's an example of someone has been uh, received the wisdom from God and not human wisdom. Simon Peter. Uh, Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Here is the opposite. Uh, again, that shouldn't be in the phallus there. Of their arrogance. Where he, he says uh, in verse eleven twenty-five, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Speaking of, for instance, Peter. So there's Peter is not speaking on, okay, what, 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 whatever I say here, how is it going to be received by the word? How is it going to, by the world? How is it going to affect my life? Is it going to bring me ease? Is it going to mean my death? Will I suffer for it? No. Jesus has a simple question and he speaks the truth that is revealed, not through human wisdom, but by only from the, only from above. He speaks the truth, not motivated by physical safety or acceptance, but what is true or not. God generally chooses to let the admittedly arrogant, says here, I think in chapter 11, just stay in their ignorance. But only when he works can that change. Only when he regenerates us. And so what, what made the difference between Peter and the rest? God opened his heart to his understanding and left others natural darkness. So I think that kind of illustrates what Paul is saying. So that's who can receive it. That's who can't receive it. Who can receive God's wisdom? Well, he says there in verse 6, the mature, or down in verse 13, the spiritual. It's a reference to those who have humbled themselves before God through regeneration, as opposed to those who do have not been regenerated, who are left in their natural darkness. Now it's possible, we'll see this in a couple of weeks in John in chapter 3, that you can see you can be Christian and still act like people in the flesh. You, Christians don't always utilize the revelation as they ought to. And, and we'll talk more about that when we talk about what it means to be carnal Christians uh, and so forth in a couple of weeks. 
But these mature are not some, when he talks about here in verse 6, to the mature, he's not talking about some spiritual elite group, but simply those who are led by the Spirit. He's talking about what all Christians should be. The mature, are, are the spiritually mature, are those who, uh, I know that we uh, defined this um, the other week, I think I have it here in my notes, I'll get to it in a moment, but are there, there are those who realize that without Christ I have nothing, and I need Christ, I need the revelation that comes from God, and that should describe all, all Christians. It's just that sometimes we lose sight of that, we get ourselves kind of messed up, but spiritual are, are just those who, uh, like in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, we let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It is the Spirit if He guides us in the Word of God. Let us not become conceited. The sure sign of a, someone who's not a spiritual Christian, a mature Christian, is they think more highly of themselves than they should. And what happens? We provoke one another. We envy one another. We have we don't have unity in the church. So, brothers, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, chapter 6, verse 1, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Otherwise, you're not spiritual. Keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. The mature are the meek because they are led by the Spirit and therefore will not lord it over those they must correct, but have the Lord's servant as their motivation because to be spiritual, to be mature Christian is to do all things to the glory of God. And that's, that's what here it is. Remember our definition of spiritual maturity a few weeks ago. They have been charged. The spiritual mature Christian has been changed by what we have learned in the Word of God. We don't just read God's Word and we learn a lot of stuff about God. It changes us. It humbles us. It transforms us. Someone who goes around just pointing out people's faults not in view here, right? Then in uh, Galatians 5.19, we see the other side of this, that those who uh, do not wisdom comes from above. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sexuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They all have to be in common. I'm living in whatever pleases me in this life with no thoughts of what God wants, no thoughts of state. I'm living in darkness. There. See, worldly wisdom versus wisdom of God. So obviously then, those are not led by the Spirit. They do those things. So here this, if nothing else today, let me, let me just read, four, uh, I want to turn over there, James, one more, then we'll move on here. James chapter 3. And verse, let's start in verse 13. I wanted to read this. But this, I think it's the exact same thing. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Yeah, 
but how you've been educated in the world. That's not the issue. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. True wisdom humbles us before God and others. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that is above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruit, partial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who have faith peace. The word of God humbles us because it teaches us why we're here, what's going on. It, 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 it shows my relationship to God. It shows my sin. It, 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 it cannot be expressed in pride and arrogance. See the, see how that's exactly what Paul is talking about. So if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. If God isn't working humility in your life, He isn't working in you. are quenching the Spirit. Humility is a huge part of spiritual service of what God has it, 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 It's revealing a whole worldview that is changed. <coughs> So to grasp the wisdom of God isn't about intelligence or experience, but those who have an ear to hear. It's a moral thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's the spirit working in us, which is a prerequisite to happiness and understanding the wisdom of God. God has humbled their hearts to learn from them. Spirituality is seen in love and humility, not in how much you know. Mature Christian is the necessarily the one who knows the most about the Word of God. I said that before. Just be, you know, let's just say, yeah, but let's just say, I know more Bible than everybody else here. Does that mean I'm going to mature spiritually in the church? No. Because it's the one that God has formed his image in. Thirdly, how does God impart? Well, in verses 9 to 11, we see that it is through the Holy Spirit. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So, how do we, God, impart wisdom? Of course, we know through the Spirit, but not the Spirit acting alone, the Spirit as it deals with the Word of God. That's the work that performs us to the Word of God. Now, <clears throat> what this is not saying in verse 9 is that uh, it's not speaking about some deep heart to understand things that only a few saints get. It is the gospel hidden from the darkest heart until God shines the sovereign light. So in verse 9, this is not saying that the glories of heaven are so wonderful that we can't even imagine. As true as that is, there's no one's going to argue that. That's not what Paul is saying here. Otherwise, it has no bearing to the context. What would that have to do with the context? And, and then, not only that, verse 10 says that the, these things God is revealing to us through the Spirit. So it can't be things that we can't know about until we get to heaven because we're already supposed to know them. If we're 
Christians, right? The, the Spirit teaching us something. So what is it uh, telling us? Well, Isaiah 64, 4 says, He's quoting from Isaiah, From of all, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait on Him. I should have read verse 3, excuse me. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down the mountains quake with the presence. The context there is that basically Israel is going along doing its own thing and what, nothing would have changed until God intervened and revealed himself to them. Now all of a sudden it starts to make perfect sense about what Paul is saying here. Verse 10 says that the saints do have these things revealed. And so that's the concept. God has revealed his plan of the ages in his word, but only to the saints. We all are born in darkness. We all seek our own way, as Romans 3 says. But one day God says, oh no, you don't get it. Now I'm going to uh, regenerate you and I'm going to uh, help you understand what's going on here. And that's what verse 9 is referring to. No eye has seen, no, no natural eye or natural ear has heard, seen or heard. Man can't get it, man can't understand God until he comes down and reveals it to us. These things God is revealing to us as the Holy Spirit. And see, it makes perfect sense once you understand uh, what's going on here. It is something that the natural man will have no part of until God reveals it to us. So this is a decidedly Calvinistic verse. Bible must come with power in order for someone to understand it. How then the Holy Spirit can do this is explained in verses 10 through 13 in the fifth close. We know who knows what you're thinking right now? Only you do. Only your spirit within you, right? So who's the only one who knows God's mind? Well, his spirit. Well, who else? So the spirit must be divine. And so, when God is going to reveal Himself, how how can He do it? Only through His Spirit. No, no one else, no other entity knows God. So the Spirit actually the teaches us these things. And so verses 12 through 13 are generally taken to mean that Paul and the apostles have been taught by the Spirit, and they have written down those things that we might learn these things as well. The main point then is that not that each one of us, as long as we have the Spirit, don't need to be taught, which is how I'm afraid many churches, they they want, they want they make much about the Holy Spirit, but they don't want to the Spirit to teach them God's Word. They want the Spirit to give them emotion and impressions and things found in Scripture, but that's not the Spirit's job. The Spirit is to reveal God through His Word to us. Many just want the Spirit to spiritually believe in it. Whether they know the Bible that much or not, it's not important. That completely misses the point, as we said, verse 13, that we impart this in word, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Those who try to know God outside, or to obey God outside of the world, to walk the doctrine. And so, finally then, we are about to, fourthly, what is the hidden wisdom? God. Well, we've already answered it for the first time. God has defined a glorious plan that ensures us a glorious future. And, uh, for instance, Romans 8, uh, 13, 
18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there's a verse that speaks about the glory to follow that we really can't imagine. But you see the light here that, that the Word of God is teaching us that I've got to make sure that I guard this present life and the philosophies of this world and listen only to God. So it's it's an example of what we're talking about. This is also important because if you truly believe and understand the message of the Bible, it's going to fundamentally change the thinking and attitude the way you live. And if you are unaffected by the biblical message, then it's not being revealed. But we know the Spirit's not working. Again, remember Paul is showing the church how to combat division through proper knowledge of truth. I want to judge what you say and do and what I say and do with eternity in With the glory of God in mind. To react time for time is to completely miss the point. Just because someone hurts me doesn't mean I should react in time. I've got to consider what God says about that, about what's going on, about how I am to live. If they're spiritual, that's how we think. We're controlled by the Spirit. So we've entitled the message Man's Wisdom versus God's Wisdom. Which one do you live by? And that lets you know whether it's been revealed to you or not. Which one motivates you? And it's not perfectly. If that was the case, it all be we all know, you know in your heart, whether at the end of the day, it's what God says that I must live by, that's true, and anything that contradicts that. And it's important because the answer has eternal ramifications. It's not say, well, you know, I, I kind of live by both. Well, you're not going to be in heaven. Either God alone. We'll stop there today. Any questions or comments before we close? transformation for the way this world thinks. Lord, thank you for the food, for the opportunity to have fellowship around the table. We ask your blessings upon our fellowship, the food in our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.